Cairo, Seattle. This podcast is different than every other one you've heard. The interactions that I've had with Compassion have forever changed my life. And Compassion coming alongside of this podcast and making it happen, and without them, it wouldn't be here. I don't mind telling their story for 20 minutes to share the experience our family had outside of our comfort zone in a foreign country meeting a family member. That's what Jessica became on our trip. And the second part of this podcast is a sit-down with Nelson Cruz, a Major League Baseball all-star, tremendous player. But I was so reminded in our trip to El Salvador and meeting Jessica how vastly different my life was than hers, and I was reminded by that once again with Nelson Cruz. As you sit and you hear his story, uh, it, it is just so remarkably different than mine in every single way. As a teenager, he was separated from home because that's what professional baseball did to players of great talent in the Dominican Republic. Uh, He was separated from his native country. He came to America knowing no English whatsoever. But just as sitting down with Jessica and becoming family with her through our faith and through compassion and sitting down with Nelson Cruz, there is a new appreciation for what he had to endure for how his faith grew, some of the momentous moments in his life and his journey in baseball, and then ultimately a faith story as powerful and as strong as any as you've heard in these episodes. You know, as I reflect back on this trip to El Salvador, you want to do good in the world. I know it. You want to find a mission field, but you just don't know what to do or who you can trust. Well, after seeing what we saw and experiencing what we did, I feel more confident than ever inviting you to join me in compassion to go sponsor a child and gain a family member. Jessica went from a sponsored child at Compassion over the last eight years to a family member that we finally got a chance to meet. And I wouldn't be doing that journey justice and I wouldn't be doing this podcast justice without sharing that journey. My morning radio show in Seattle, we love to say every once in a while, let me pull the curtain back. I enjoy that line of just let me bring everybody in just a little bit more. And I think in this case, we'll get the opportunity to do so because I have to. I have to just pull that curtain back and share with you all the amazing journey to El Salvador that I never imagined for myself or my family we would ever have. It was December of 2016, and I had shared this story on my episode last year in season one of Above and Beyond of how meaningful an interaction was with Mike Johnson from Compassion International, that the Lord really intervened and put the marketing director for Compassion International next to me on a flight to Denver at a time where this Above and Beyond was just beginning to go and gain some steam and really needed a sponsor. And there was Mike. And there was our first conversation about Jessica and about Compassion International and the fact that, oh man, for the last seven years, we've gotten a chance to sponsor and and sponsor feels weird now. Partner, uh, come alongside, love on, be living life with Jessica and getting to share that with Mike and then ultimately having Compassion come alongside and help sponsor this podcast, this above and beyond. 18 months later, Compassion said, you know what? As much as we enjoy you talking about it, you have to experience it. As much as you love the mission through seven years of sponsoring Jessica in the letters that we've gotten and written back and forth every two months and the connection we felt, it was imperative that I get out of this country 
and I go experience alongside my family, Molly and Haley and Macy and Titus, what compassion is really all about. And that's what we got a chance to do here in June. We flew from Seattle to Los Angeles, from Los Angeles to San Salvador, El Salvador, to go see Jessica and to go see what compassion was all about. And we land in San Salvador at, oh, about one in the morning. Still waiting for us is Fernando. And Fernando was our guide for the next three days in El Salvador. Fernando works for Compassion full-time. His job is to host these visits. And in that moment, stepping into the van and heading to the hotel, I think my family and I knew we were going to be just fine. So the following morning, after all the travels and the wild travels and a short night's sleep, Compassion was so awesome of putting an itinerary together. So we had a sense of what was to come. And on the van ride from the hotel to Jessica's school, uh, we were informed and given some background on Jessica, even more than we knew through our letters. It was Fernando, Tatiana, and Diego were the three translators and trip guides for us. I asked Tatiana, I said, who, who got to go and meet Jessica? and her family and let them know that these crazy Americans would be coming down to meet her, these folks she'd written letters to and poured her life into and shared her life with. And Tatiana said, yeah, it was me and Fernando about a month prior to our arrival that got to go out to the school and got to meet Jessica. And she said, oh, and wait till you meet her. She is vibrant. She's so smart. She is just so brave. She has an amazing spirit. You guys And she was so excited. I mean, she was in tears. She couldn't believe it. She was so excited. Just as you guys are to meet her, it is going to be awesome to see. So we make this about our journey, and we all have this anticipation. And and we've seen pictures of her through the years as she's grown, much like my 15-year-old daughter has grown and changed in her life. So we had a sense of what she would look like. But when we pull into the school, there's a couple hundred students in this public school there in El Salvador, right outside of San Salvador. And we pull in and it was marvelous. The students are out there and it was as if she was glowing. Like I just knew exactly which one Jessica was. I didn't have to look around. My my wife's eyes, Molly's eyes were so trained and focused right away on Jessica. You couldn't miss her. She was just beaming. And we get out of the van and we walk right up to her. And in America, we have these side hugs, right? We have these uncomfortable pat on the back hugs. Uh, it wasn't that. It was just a hug of just meeting a family member that you hadn't seen in seven or eight years or you had never met before. And the walls and the barriers, if there were any, were just immediately melted and broken down. And I just hugged her. And maybe there was a normal time where you typically pull away from a hug, but I just really couldn't do it. I just kept hugging because she kept hugging. And just to feel her warmth and her presence. And it turned out we were the first sponsors to ever come into the school to ever ultimately go to her home and her church project, and you would have never known it. They were so welcoming. They were so loving. They were so proud of their school that we got a chance to tour. And we were there about an hour and a half, and we make then the ride to Compassion's church project. And uh, what I have grown to love about it and seeing it firsthand is there are about 272 of these church projects in the entire country of El Salvador. And each of these have roughly 200 kids that are sponsored, over 70,000 kids in El Salvador. And we pull then into her church project, which is a big church that has a lot of little school buildings around it that they also educate. But when we pulled in, there were all of the kids from the church project singing, 
had banners for us, so excited to share balloons. I mean, the whole deal. So we we're further melted. And then we get into the actual church and meet the pastor and all the people involved in the church there, the Compassion Church Project. And then Jessica even sings for us. They put on a performance. They put on a play. They put on their very best. And it was at that moment that it hit me. It took me three or four hours in El Salvador that it hit me. We are in America so rich in our things and so poor in spirit. And I'll raise my hand and even in our home on a daily basis, there's a conviction that we are so rich in so many things. And yet, and I know this is biblical, yet it's true. We just fight our spirit. And when we pulled into both her school and then ultimately the church project, the compassion has its fingertips on, uh, you could just feel that richness in spirit. Maybe it was a song and the dance and the play and everything else and all the spirited kids or the songs that Jessica belted out. And I didn't understand them, but it didn't matter. I don't speak fluent Spanish. It's a goal of mine to learn more. Sitting there absorbing all of this love and to spend the next two, three hours learning about the project, learning about all the teaching, the computer lab, each of the teachers that were so proud of what they do there and the impact they're making on these young lives and to see Jessica beaming with pride and what they do there and what that church project and what compassion has meant in their community. It was awesome. And to break bread and have lunch uh, and really to spend that time with them. I will never look at compassion the same. I can't. I can't. Because when you actually feel the genuine, loving, nurturing nature of what they do every single day investing in those kids, I'm humbled to think that my $38 a month investment, my $1 a day has the opportunity to make that kind of impact. Brock, can you talk about what you saw in the region? What was the city like? How different was it than your expectations heading into the trip? It was a blessing years ago to go to the Dominican Republic with a ministry called Esperanza de Valley. Former Mariner has that. And we had a chance three years ago to do that trip and experience poverty. Uh, really deep poverty, third world poverty, slums. It was a strong imprint, I, I think, for my family. And the kids were all three years younger at that point. So we had at least that in the memory banks as we headed into some of the poverty that we would feel and some of the need that we would feel in El Salvador. And we would leave the church project and stay in the hotel. And the following day, we drove right back. And instead of the school and the church project, we got into Jessica's home. And that's where you could really feel from our perspective that the barriers of love break down because there's really nothing. That you walk into their home that's smaller than our radio studio, that has two hammocks that the parents sleep in, two mattresses on the floor. It did have power, but certainly no running water. The kitchen is outdoor, right over a fire pit. And watching Haley and Macy dig into the corn and make the tortillas with Jessica and her lovely mom just to see the joy. I just sat in a rocking chair with Jessica's dad and just watched and just watched immediately. So many, again, of these things that we have that put up so many barriers that you think you have to have. And then when they're eliminated, there's just no barriers. Even though these folks have nothing, nothing compared to the comforts that we have in our own home, man, the expression of love is so real and it's so genuine. To watch Titus play in their yard, which was full of rocks, and they played and had the time of their lives, and Titus got all sweaty head, and Jose, as Jessica's little brother, was just, and Titus connected immediately, as seven and eight-year-olds do on any playground in America. Uh, they do the same in a rocky 
backyard because they don't know any different. And then we had the chance to take Jessica and her family to lunch into a hotel with swimming pools they'd never been to. They didn't have swimsuits. They had shorts and t-shirts. Did it matter? Absolutely not. Jessica and Haley and Macy, three teenagers sitting in the pool with Tatiana for an hour. Do I have that snapshot for the rest of my life? I do. As they chatted about dresses and school and boys and life and being 15 and 13 and everything that my girls do here with their friends in America. And to watch that after 24 hours, right? Any barrier of language or any barrier of stuff or any barrier of that junk just melt away and to feel that connection. That will be a photograph that I will have in a videotape I will have in my head for the rest of my life as they were able to so deeply connect. It's one of the things that I, I love about this podcast more than anything else. You just feel a connection. I feel connected to Alvin Davis. I feel connected now to Luke Renauer. I feel a connection with Jake Locker. I feel a connection with these guys and gals that I would never imagined. And I think more than anything, it's called compassion. It could just as easily be called connection because that's what you get a chance to do when you invite someone into your family. And while she's a couple thousand miles away, and while it was a 19-hour air trip and everything else that could have gone wrong did go wrong to get down there, the minute we were there, there was such an unbelievable connection. And that's what compassion's about. Having been connected with compassion for so many years and knowing the things that your donations went towards in helping Jessica, what was it like for you and your family to see some of those things in action? Compassion is life-giving. It is connecting in all of those areas. Like a, And I've heard this said before, and I don't know if he was even at a compassion conference or some of their personnel shared. It's like they're the hub, and then here's all these spokes that go out and the education that comes, um, spirit-filled teaching you know, through all aspects of it, the church home environment, the food and the nutrition that comes. So you know, the hub is that connection. It is compassion but it is all of those spokes that complete the wheel so they can go, so these kids can take off. And it was awesome to meet Jessica and to see that come to life. And the wheels literally spinning as you're watching this and you're knowing it's going to propel her in amazing ways. The confidence that she has, the health she has, the education she has, the, the courage she has to dream. You know, that was such a big part of it too that both Fernando and Diego and Tatiana and Ken really expressed to us is really, hey, when you're loving on these kids and you're getting the time to be immersed with them and the barriers are down, just really, really extend, encourage that desire to dream because they can. And in so many of these countries where there's so much poverty and there's so much barrier, there's no dreams. You're going to hear this in some of Nelson Cruz's story in this podcast that when you're seven years old and you're working in your uncle's mechanic shop, what is your dream? Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work here. I'm, I'm not going to do anything different. This is all I've seen. This is all I've known. You know, for so many there, you get in, it's what they've seen and known is just poverty. And, and if they can just be clothed and have a roof over their head, that that's it. You know, to dream, to dream to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or an entertainer, or an athlete, or to dream of those things is outside the realm of so many of those whose life is really about just trying to live and survive. It didn't take long to understand it. And that is where, man, these kids are getting in a computer lab. 
There is a Word document and there's an Excel document and to see them thirst for it, you know, and asking the staff, like, which is the most popular of these different rooms, right, at the project? Oh, there's no question because they know, you know, the launching pad that they can be. And actually, that's not fair. They don't know. You know, they don't know. They don't know more. They don't know to dream big. They don't know there can be so much more out there, but at least this is a baby step in that direction. At least it gets, again, that analogy of a wheel going. It gives them, you know, some of that impetus to move forward and to move upward and to move onward. And for Jessica, you know, her mom is a is a housekeeper. She leaves for four days a week. She leaves on Monday on a bus and she's gone out of their home for the week. And guess who's there to cook and to clean and to put the pieces together for dad who's also gone all day working? Who's left? It's the 15-year-old Jessica who's left to take care of Jose, who's left to take care of so much of that home. And man, she is such a powerful young woman because of it. And now that compassion's there, and it just, I feel so moved and so motivated because now compassion's there for the last eight years, right? Giving her more opportunity, right? The, The wheels to spin more and spin greater and hopefully dream even bigger. And then our experience to go down there and share that encouragement and that love was just profound. It's so cool that you got to know Jessica more through this experience. Do you have a picture of what her life is going to look like when she's no longer being supported, when she finishes this program? Yeah, it's pretty neat. It it can extend up to 18 years of age. So Jessica will have at least three more years and sometimes uh, with further schooling all the way up to number 22. And that was what was so cool about Compassion as well. They've put some of these trips together. They know what they're doing. They want you to see as much as you can the total picture. So on one of the final days, we got a chance to meet those that have gone through the program, to meet two of their further stories in El Salvador, of those that went through an entire sponsorship and now are uh, one of the sports directors in El Salvador and working uh, and was a really talented soccer player. And he's now working back in the country and he's volunteering and he's going around the church projects and he's teaching and he's leading in the sport of soccer. To meet one of the more dynamic young women I met, 18 years old, another soccer player and track athlete and wants to be a doctor and wants to grow into that and to watch just her her courage of her convictions, you know, to see those that have gone through and start to have some of that courage, like I can do this. So we got a chance to meet some of those and to see that opportunity. And and then those pour back in, right? And they go to the church projects and they volunteer and they spend time to say, hey, there is more you're capable of. And, and to meet Tatiana and to meet Diego and to meet Fernando and to meet those that work right in that program and know how much they empower these young kids and these young people. It isn't just $38 a month. That goes to medicine and food. It's just, it's so much more than that. It is the holistic entire person that they are transforming from the inside out. And they don't back away from the gospel and they don't back away from their missional statement. They never will. And because of it, you see so much fruit born of it. And that's where there's opportunity for so many of you that if you feel this essence and this courage and this love, and if you feel some of what I'm saying as far as Jessica and the impact that it's making, you've got the same opportunity. You know, I say this all the time on these podcasts, uh, but hopefully this brings it home. It sure did for us. And you've got the same opportunity to do so. Just go to Compassion.com slash above. You can go there. And they found 89 kids right there in El Salvador, right in an area that I got to visit. 89 kids just like Jessica waiting to be sponsored. 
If we can find a way to sponsor 89 kids in that church project, it's going to thrive. They may find themselves a computer lab. They may find themselves even more resources to just get that wheel of life going for these kids. Compassion.com slash above. There are 89 other Jessicas for just a dollar a day. (laughs) That's it. Just a little over a dollar a day, 38 bucks a month. You can change a life. I know it. I've experienced it. I felt it. I hugged it. You can too. 89 of them are waiting for you, waiting for you to be sponsored at compassion.com slash above. I don't like to ask. I really don't. It's not a great trait of mine, but this is not really an ask for me. I hope this doesn't feel like an ask. It doesn't from my perspective as I speak into this microphone. It just feels like a share. I get to share with you the amazing experience that, that we had with Compassion. I got to share with you the connection that they make. I hope I've been able to express what we have in another family member of ours. She happens to live in El Salvador in means that are so humble yet so beautiful. And you have a chance to share in the same thing with one of these 89 children whose lives you will totally change, whose family you will totally change, whose community more than likely you will totally change and who you will connect with in ways you would have never, ever imagined. Take me back to the very early stages, if you wouldn't mind, of your life, and maybe when your faith became a part of your life. I grew up in a a Catholic family. Uh, My mom and my dad always take me to church. I mean, growing up, I was part of who I was, you know. Um, But I think my faith started to grow after I signed you know, after becoming professional, because I was by myself, you know, and I guess you have better connection with, with God when you're by yourself, you know, and a tough situation comes, and you only find peace when you were him, when you had that relationship. So since then, I'd be, I'd be part of my life, you know. How would you characterize your upbringing? Uh, I, I had a chance to go to the Dominican two years ago. We were out in the sugarcane fields. We were in Santo Domingo and some of the just tough, really poor neighborhoods. What was your upbringing like uh, in your hometown? It wasn't bad because my, both of my, my parents were teachers, you know. So they teach me the importance of school and education. But um, I just have what I need, you know. I have food, I have clothes, I have nothing else, you know. I, don't, I wasn't those kids that had bicycles or any of that. Or toys when I wanted, you know, how to make my own toys if I want to play with toys. Um, what, 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 what's <laughs> making your own toys? In Dominican, we have a tree. It looks like a tire. I don't know the name of the tree, but it looks like a tire. You go, you climb to the tree and take it off, and you break like 20 of those, maybe four of those are good to use it like a, like a tire for a car. Yeah. And you clean a piece of wood, two pieces of wood, and wrap it up. And then you create like a plastic uh, can, whatever it would be, and that would be the frame of the car. And you just put something on there and a little piece of road, and you pull like it's a car. And you just play. Yeah. <laughs> and you just play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, growing up also, we don't have uh, more baseball like now. You know, everywhere you go, you find uh, professional baseball players in Dominican, and they... For you as well growing up? No, it wasn't, no. It wasn't like that. I mean, when I signed before me, it was only two professional baseball players in my town, so so it was very critical to find baseballs and all that. So we had to make our own baseballs with with socks, 
we put a piece of cartons there, whatever we can find, and we rub it up and break a piece of wood and that'd be like, like the bat, and we play baseball, you know. It was fun, and it was part of my life, too. What were your earliest memories of playing baseball? How old were you when you were starting to play, and what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, I always play as I was a kid. I don't remember how, how old I was. Uh, we find pictures of myself with the bat hitting. Maybe I was three or four years old. But I stopped from maybe nine all the way to 16. I don't play baseball. I don't, I don't play organized baseball at all. So I always play the baseball that I played was in the street. This guy who signed me told me this why I, I was a late developer, you know, because I take time to mature you. Uh, I guess your ability to play baseball. So that was my case. You know, when I went to the Dominican, Nelson, it struck me that there was a lot of churches. Uh, you mentioned growing up in the Catholic faith. Was the Catholic faith a big part of your upbringing, a big part of your community? It is a big part. And growing up, uh, I think uh, I claim more to the Christian church, you know, so that's the church that I go to. And even uh, I make my the church um, in my community, I make a church my community and I'm always involved in any Christian activities the the community have raising money for get the church better whatever it might sure. be so definitely like I say after I, I be a professional it is more part of who I am so then you signed how old were you when you signed I was 16 you were 16 when you signed with the Mets. You signed with the Mets. What did that look like? How did they find you with your uh, water bottle race cars and your <laughs> sticks and socks? And, you know, how did they go about finding uh, Nelson Well, it was Cruz? a process. I mean, um, like I say, I wasn't playing baseball because I was working with my uncle uh, as a shot, as a mechanic. And then we played the high school in another high school. We played um, a softball game. And that game, I did really good. So, hey, I was like, why you don't play baseball? Well, back then... Um, we don't have a baseball team that plays on Sundays, and I was working Monday through Saturday, so I don't have time to play. Finally, like a month later, they, they built a team that was playing Sundays, and I started playing. Teams from big cities come to my hometown, and they saw me play, and all the scouts, I mean the Buscones, they wanted to have the programs, go in and talk to my dad, and they convinced my dad to let me go and train for them. So that's how everything wow. started. You know? So you were working as a mechanic from what age? When did you start working with your uncle? Young? I don't remember. Maybe oh, from wow. eight or nine. Wow. Yeah. And that developed some of your work ethic. I mean, you're in yeah. school and you're working in the shop. Yes. And probably, I don't know, the guys that I've known in my life that worked on cars, pretty strong hands, yeah. <laughs> pretty strong forearms, right? I mean, don't, yes. do you think that helped yeah, no you doubt. develop and that develop? You no know? doubt. I think um, since growing up, I feel like I was one of the strongest kids everywhere I go. I think it was part of that, you know, be working as a mechanic, you know, be lifting heavy weights and yeah. since a young age. And I think also, you know, help, I mean, show me the importance of work, you know. My dad, uh, uh, sometimes I complain, why why I had to work, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, he was like, if you're working, you're busy doing something, you're not going to be in trouble doing bad stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was, when I was a kid, I wasn't, like, sure that was true, you know. <laughs> now that I had kids, you know, I understand what was the process, and, and yeah. my dad always had the, the right call. So at 16, the Mets signed you. And uh, and you said it wasn't really until you got out on your own where your own faith became personal, where it became about your conviction. So walk me through those years. When you're signed by the New York Mets, <laughs> you get out of the shop working with your uncle, and what does life look like then? Where does it take you? Well, uh, from 
early age, I guess when I was working on the shot, you know, I never went to church again. Like I say, that was an early age um, when my dad and my mom take me to church. Mm-hmm. After I was 10, I guess, I never went back to church. And when I signed, I was with those players out there by myself, you know. My mom's always told me to read the Bible. So, like I say, I was by myself. I started reading the Bible. Start to understand what was the reason why you're here on earth, you know, is yeah. to serve God. So, I guess I had a need from God, you know. And then, just day by day, my faith was growing, you know. Um, I feel like uh, if you had him wake up and do the things that God will me to do, like reading the Bible, talk to him, and all that. I was by myself, you know, I, was, I feel empty. So, uh, like I say, day by day, just getting done, and, and my faith was growing. Were you on, in the Dominican at that point? Yeah, I was uh, in the Dominican. So you are in the Dominican at that point, but you moved from your hometown to where the to Mets the capital, had the facility, yeah. to Santo Domingo? Yeah, Santo Domingo. Okay, and then how long were you there in Santo Domingo? And, I was and, there and for three years. You were there from age 16 to 19. Yes. Is life then just a lot of baseball, a lot of training? Are you off yeah. the island? Are you playing other places? No, no, it was it was about all baseball. I mean, it was my first time leaving my house, too, so it was difficult for me and my mom. Um, remember, and your sisters. You're kind of a mama's boy, weren't you? Yeah. All your sisters. Yeah. I mean, yes. You so. would never guess it looking at you, but I, I think I'm getting that sense, that sensitive, yeah. caring heart you have with your sisters, the influence of your mom. You were, yeah. I mean, she, she, uh, remember when, when I went to the Santo Domingo the first time after I signed, she was with me for like two weeks. And uh, this little, he worked with us now, with our marriage. He told her, you just let it fly, you know. He's, he was a bird, now he need to fly, let it fly, you know. Mm-hmm. He's going to be fine. <laughs> but it was hard for her, you know, sure. just because I was with her, you know. Um, and her only boy. Yes. Yeah. So um, she let me go, you know, and uh, I guess three years later, I was in the States. I came to Arizona first time, and again, I was by myself. So she always invited me to read the Bible, read the Bible, um, and it's part of me. Nelson, did you know that baseball was your gift did you know that, um, I, I guess through your, your growth and your walk and your reading, that you could utilize this game as a real gift that God had given you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, growing up before baseball, between 9 to 10 through 17, I was a big basketball guy. You know, I would play basketball. It was easier for me to go after work at night and, and shoot basketballs. Uh, the court, so it's a huge basketball I dream to be Michael Jordan, some of, some of those guys. Um, but it was hard because first you have to leave the island, and and it's hard for uh, undraft players to to leave the island, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to come and play in the NBA. So I guess I find that baseball it was a gift, you know. Um, like I said, I always make sure I do my job, work hard, um, eat, give everything that I have. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out because he doesn't want it. But I make sure I give all my efforts. Take me from 19 to the early years as you've transitioned now to the States, right? You're with the Mets. Where does life take you? Where are some of the twists and turns? And maybe especially those that impacted your faith journey. Well, um, it was difficult to be by yourself. Come to the States, new language, you know, try to learn the culture, where to eat, what to eat. Uh, and to be able to get all that done, it was hard. But through the process, you know, I always find peace and I always find strength with, with, with the Lord. And the good thing about it is it was, it's kind of uh, deja vu everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. I find players that also work with Lord and they help me with that, with that, with that process. I think 2003, 
I was playing in the Midwest League yeah. in, in Illinois, King County, and uh, I had a great first half. The second half was miserable. I mean, I don't, I don't know what was going on, but I cannot hear anything. Mm. Um, and through that process, you know, I find even with my worst days, you know, anytime that I go and read the Bible, I find peace and I find like, okay, everything's going to be all right. I don't gonna dictate who I am because baseball, you know. I am who I am because Lord me make me like this. So I don't gonna li- dictate baseball who I am. Did you have that piece of 22? I mean, you're 22 years yes, of age at that point. Yes. I mean, it was difficult because I was a young guy. Yeah. I want to do stuff the other kids do, like go out, go party, or that. But for some reason, none of it was one of those kids that try to make happiness with going out and, and you know and do what kids do at that age. But like I said, you know, I find that I don't gonna let it dictate baseball who I am as a person. You know, it's easy to, for you as a pl- baseball player, you as an athlete also, to get frustrated and get involved with what sports give you. You know, and people look at you. Oh, he's good because he's a good baseball player. Or he's bad because he's a bad baseball player. Um, so since then, I realized that baseball is just one part who I, of my life, but yeah. it's not who I am. And uh, that from that moment on, you know, my life has changed completely. What was your climb through the minors? So you're 22 years of age. You were with the Mets originally. What was the climb through the minors and some of the different organizations that you have been with? Yeah, I was with the Mets. So in 2003, in 2000, 2000 I got traded to Oakland. Uh, I was playing Dominican Summer League, and that was the only time and the first time it ever happened that uh, Dominica Summer Mid player was traded for a big league guy. Wow. That was unique. <laughs> At the time, I thought it was like, wow, they don't like me, you know, what, what I did bad, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what should I do better so they don't trade me because I did really good that year? I was a young guy. I don't know. I don't know. I was in the same the process. And yeah. then a week later, I tell my family I got traded. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> And I understand that anytime you got traded or somebody get you is because they like you you know i guess they want you i guess yeah. a little bit more than they want to let you go so uh, it take me a week to realize that <laughs> um and then from there from 2000 to 2004 i was with the ace in 2004 after the season i got traded to the brewers from 2005 to 2005 the season 2006 wow. to i mean to the rangers uh so wow i stayed from the rangers from 2006 all the way to uh 13 Wow. And then one year with the Orioles and the rest with us. And here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned there earlier, and this has been, Nelson, such a theme, I think, through these podcasts, and certainly is in my story, of those Christian men that were there for me in high school and then into college. And then the two organizations I was with in the NFL and some of the mentors and the men that you have had in your life at those different spots and different turns. Do you ever look back now and go, man, what a what a blessing to have those guys in those different spots impact my life? No doubt, no doubt. Uh, even even my first year when I was with Oakland, I came to the state and then I had to go back to Dominican to train on the complex. And I remember I have like three or four guys there. You know, they, they really helped me out with the, mm. my Christianity. And I think those early years, my Christianity was the most important ones because it made me stronger and realize that this is the this is the the role that I had to go and this is the role that I had to follow. Now this has not all been rosy. No, you know, it's, not at all. Uh, no, and, and you know there've been good and bad and ugly and everything else in between. What have some of the some of the lessons you've learned through some of the choices, good and bad? Well, um, 
you gotta make bad choices, you know. Um, like I said before, it's not gonna dictate who you are, because um, we humans and we make mistakes, you know. That's who who we are. We have to learn through those, you know, and make sure if they are really bad, make sure you help some other people doesn't go so they don't make the same mistake that you mm -hmm. make. And going back the '99, I was I was like I said, I was reading Bibles and I went to the, I was trying to go to Christian church more. I mean, a lot. And we building a church back in Santo Domingo. And uh, I remember building a church. I promised, Lord, the first contract that I make in the big leagues, I'm going to build a church. So I go back to the, the, the church that I built. So in 2011, after the World Series with the Rangers, I got sick in Dominican. And I was really sick. I mean, I lost 45 pounds. I was like 190. And I was going to every doctor in Dominican. They don't find anything. I went to Miami. At one point, I thought I'm gonna literally. I mean, I was I was giving up. Hmm. First time in my life, I was okay. I'm, I'm tired of this. And you know, I, if you have to go right now, I'm I'm fine. I can go. And then um, a pastor from my sister's Christian too. So she come with a pastor and start praying. You know that. For me to be able to sleep at night, the pastor had to pray every night so I can fall asleep. <laughs> I remember one night he left early. That was like a, around one week. He stayed with me. He left early. And I kind of fell asleep. I was sick and I was shaking. I mean, I, have, I was really bad. So I called him, like, can you come back and we can pray? <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And he did. Yeah. And I, like a baby, I fell asleep. Wow. You know, it was amazing. Um, so he, they take me to surgery. Uh, they want to check my stomach and see what's going on inside. And uh, when I was there in the surgery, I have a revelation. And the Lord came and asked me, that don't forget the promise. Ah. Since 99, all the way to 2012, about that, that time, because I was from October all the way to January when I was six. I'm talking about four months. I mean, that's <laughs> that's almost 13 years, 12 years. That I never remember about that. You never had a revelation. I never, never had a revelation. Yeah. I forgot about it totally, right. completely. Right. I was like, so it was clear, like right now, his voice was clear, and I heard it like say, that, don't forget the promise, you know? When I wake up, and I'm like, wow, what what did I promise? You know? <laughs> so, just like a pop up, you know, wow. wow, the church. And and I make my money the past year, you know. I yeah. signed my first contract, and I yeah. the promise, you know, that's a promise. So, um, the pastor was there, uh, telling what's happened, you know, and he was like, I mean, it doesn't have to be the church, my church. But we don't have a church. I was like, okay, you got a church now. We're going to build a church. <laughs> wow. So that's what happened. And wow. uh, we built a church. Uh, after the, I leave the, the place, a day later, they find out I have a, a parasite. And I was like, thank God. At least I know what I have now because right. I don't know what was the deal. Um, two weeks later, I was, I was good. You know, I just, it took me time to recover, like a year to be myself. But um, I leave, I have my, ba my life back and... So uh, wow. I cannot say anything more than all that I have is because God, you know, he, he let me have it. And it's been a bless, you know. Like you say, it's been a roller coaster, but uh, at the end of the day, you find that everything you have is because of him. So be careful about the promises you make. I know. I, know. <laughs> I did make a promise um, last year, and I made sure before I came to the States I get it done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you firmly believe that uh, you had made that promise in 1999. 
and 12, 13 years later that it took some of that adversity, took some of that moment as a kind of a reminder and a building block Mm -hmm. back into your promise and your faith? Yes, no doubt. I do so appreciate Nelson Cruz and the opportunity and chance to spend time with him and learn more about him and his amazing journey he's been on. And it reminded me in so many ways and why we really did pair our journey to El Salvador together with Nelson, how different our lives are and our experiences have been and the connection that we can make, whether it's through a podcast and this platform to hear Nelson's testimony or whether it's through compassion and the opportunity to sponsor a child and even more to invite a new family member into your life. And you can do it. There are 89 kids in El Salvador waiting to join a family. And all you got to do is to go to compassion.com slash above. They're waiting for you right there and you can change a life and you may just gain another family member. 